0: How's everybody? Good? Good. I'm going to share my message in a minute, but I just want to honor my friend and an elder of this congregation for his birthday, and also, Devorah, it's your birthday this week too, and Tom's birthday is actually Tuesday, Monday. See, I have to tell this guy when his birthday is. (laughs) I know when you get that way, it's a little confusing, my brother, but can we just stand and bless, come on up here, both of you guys, come on up here, and and we just um want to sing happy birthday to them, it's also the birthday of our congregation today, but I just want to pray over them. Father, I just thank you for, uh, for Devorah and just her heart for you, her passion, Lord, her passion for um, for prayer, for intercession, for worship, Lord, And and I thank you for my brother who's just... He's been a dear friend for for many years. Lord, I thank you for just his wisdom and for just his solidness. I don't even know if that's a word, but just, just who he is. And we bless them in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Tom and Devorah. Happy birthday to you. you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. What are you going to do for your birthday? What did you do? Went out to Los Dos Potrios, yeah? And I know that um, Tom is um, going to be doing, doing some ice fishing. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Great. Um, just a, an announcement coming up. Uh, in a few weeks, three weeks from now, we're going to be having Doug Hershey again with us. And uh, he's a great storyteller. And not just a stories, but he makes the word come alive. And he's going to be sharing... Um, about some things, fresh things. Actually, he's going to be sharing about uh, the the Torah portion for that week. And he's going to be with us on the morning of Shabbat, uh, February 8th. And and then he's going to be um, at Larry and Joyce's house that evening. So we'll give you more details as that comes about. Amen. if you would open your bibles your sword and we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today because i really just i want to continue on our our series of looking at our biblical roots and as I share every week, the reason why I want to really emphasize this is because there's been a subtle, actually a not so subtle movement in the body of Messiah, especially in the West and especially in the United States to really, to basically, to, to say that the, the Hebrew scriptures are not all that important anymore because all we need is Yeshua. All we need is Jesus. We just need the New Testament. And nothing could be farther from the truth. And so that's why I want to kind of talk about our roots and how if the apostles, if the early apostles, if Yeshua himself relied upon the scriptures and the Tanakh to tell about who he was, um, should we not even more in these crazy days? And I want to talk today, it's kind of almost two parts, but I just entitled this A Father and a Lamb, A Father and a Lamb. I love calling him Abba. I love calling him Father. He's a divine Father. And that's not just a New Testament concept. Oh, Yeshua shows us the Father, and so now we can have a relationship with the Father. And what I want to talk to about today is to show you that the Father has always been the Father. He's always had that relationship and desired that relationship with us. So in... Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 22. This is part of a parasha that we're looking at this week. And God is having this conversation with Moses that Moses has all these objections to and, you know, I can't do this, I can't do this. And, And now the father is starting to lay out what he's supposed to say to Pharaoh. He says, you are to say to Pharaoh... This is what Adonai says. Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I have said to you, let my son go. That he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will slay your son, your firstborn. This relationship of a father, we see that the father has this relationship with Israel, calls him his son, his firstborn. And that is, that's huge because in those days, a son was everything that the father wanted to do. He would pour into his son, especially when the firstborn son has all the blessings and all the inheritance. And so just to say those words, it's not just throwing those words out. There's true, deep meaning. It's, it's a description of a relationship based on intimacy that has been experienced by God's people throughout the Torah. God is their father. They knew him as their father. And here God is showing Moses what he's to say to to Pharaoh. And do we have that relationship with the father? Do we cry out, Abba, father, father? Do we cry that out? You know, it says in Romans chapter 8, you have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that's the only way that we can really cry out to our father is when we know that we're adopted. We're his. We're his sons and daughters and have that father relationship. And and in this passage, these couple of verses that that I just read, he calls Israel my son. And you've got to remember this in the context. Pharaoh in Egypt is considered a god and a father to the Egyptians. Small g, small f. But he is considered by the Egyptians to be a god and a father. So he knows exactly what Moses is telling him. He's hearing this. He's not a, of course, he's not discerning what's going on here. You see, the Torah equates the same relationship that Pharaoh had with his own son with the relationship our heavenly father has with Israel. His firstborn son. Now, what are some of the things, what will a father do for his son? Just throw out some answers. Bail him out. (laughs) Is there a personal testimony there that you want to say one day? (laughs) But what will a father do for his son? Anything. Discipline, yes, that's part of it. But he will do anything for his son, especially for his firstborn son. So he's describing this relationship in context with Pharaoh. It says, Challenge to Pharaoh to let his people go, and he's comparing this to his relationship with his own son. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. Of course, he didn't take that strong advice, and we see later on. So we see this concept of father, this relationship of father. It's nothing new. It's not just something that is brought in in the New Testament, but it's all through. We see it in Moses when he's speaking his final message to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse six. You know, and he's, he's seen their rebellion. They've been in the desert for, at this point, about 38 years. They've been wandering and rebelling, groaning and moaning and griping. And then he says in Deuteronomy 32, 6, he says, Is this how you pay back Adonai, O foolish, unwise people? And then he says, Isn't he your father who ransomed you? He makes you and he made you and established you. So he's reminding them of their father relationship. And we also see in the Tanakh that David had no problem at all considering God his father. He declares in 1 Chronicles 29, 10, he says, Blessed are you, Adonai. God of Israel, our Father, from eternity to eternity. You see, what's happening at this point, the context is, is David is declaring that God is his father as he prepares to install his son Solomon as king, and that they were taking up their offerings for the construction of the temple. So this is not a new concept, Father. And We see also in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 16, this is one of my mine and Millie's life verses. He says, for you are our father. Even if Abraham would not know us or Israel not recognize us, you, Adonai, are our father, our redeemer from everlasting is your name. And I'll tell you, one of the the experience that really made that known to, to Millie and I was, and I've shared this before and I'll share it again, when we were exiled from Israel back in 2001. We were kicked out of the land. As far as we knew, we didn't know if we'd ever be able to get back into the land. And we were in Prague, in the Czech Republic, and we just were praying. And God, what are you saying? And he spoke that verse to us. He says, for you are our father, even if Abraham would not know us or Israel not recognize us." We took that personally. And then he revealed himself as his father. See, that's what he wants to do with each of us is for us to have that relationship to know him as father so that when we're in the midst of a challenge, a struggle, a hard time, we have that intimate relationship of the father with us. Knowing him as father is crucial when we're going through challenging times. And because of this relationship that we have with him, and it's not just something that began with Yeshua. Yes, it's fulfilled in Yeshua, but it's something that the people of Israel and the people of God have always had since the beginning. And because of this relationship, we can call on his compassion, call on his mercies. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the compassion. God is a compassionate God of mercies. Do you know that you are clay in the potter's hands, in Isaiah 64, 7, he says, But now, Adonai, you are our father. When we know that he's our father, our, our heavenly father, our divine, our perfect father, and it says, We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand so that we can allow him to form us as he wants to form us when we know that he's the father. See the connection between his mercies and his fatherhood. He's also a father to the fatherless and to the orphans. He says in Psalm 68, verse 6, he's a father of orphans and a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Anybody here ever felt alone? Anybody here ever felt like an outcast? I think all of us can say that. Guess what? He's the father to the outcasts. He is a father to the outcasts. I know that there are widows among us, and he's not just your father. He's your husband. He's your everything. He is. Hold on to that relationship. And even in rabbinic Judaism, the, the, the concept, the notion of God being father is nothing new. As a matter of fact, it's it's especially encouraged in Orthodox Judaism and Rabbinic Judaism to pray in the name of the Father. We're exhorted to address him as Abba. Avinu Melchenu is a term that we use quite often, our Father and our King. As a matter of fact, in the Yom Kippur Sidur, many times it starts off with our Father and our King, Avinu Melchenu. It's a powerful relationship that God wants us to understand. You know, when we immerse somebody, when we baptize somebody in the name of the Father, that they would know the Father. In the name of the Son, that they would know Yeshua intimately. In the name of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, God, three-part being. He wants us to know every facet of that. And you know, it is so important. It's the father that gives identity to the children. The mother is the nurturer who raises the child up and takes care of the child's needs, but it's the father who imparts name. It's the father who imparts identity. The father in the natural family, but also the heavenly father. So I want to kind of turn the, to- the corner a little bit because so I want to talk about a father who always had in his heart the salvation and deliverance of his people, because that's the desire of the father from Genesis chapter 1 when he created us in his image. And even in Genesis chapter 3, when we see that Adam and Eve rebelled, God's heart was, was still for his children, even though there were some consequences, big time consequences. His love for the children, his love for his children never ceased. So it's always been on his heart, the salvation and deliverance of his people. And so I kind of want to turn the, 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 the corner a little bit and talk about salvation in the Tanakh by the Passover lamb. Which is interesting because we're getting ready to look at the Passover in a couple of weeks in the, in the Torah portion. And so I want to look through, and we're going to be spending a lot of time looking through one particular chapter, Exodus chapter 12. But, and I want us to look at it this, in the sense that, and I want us to know, Israel is never just a symbol. The things that happened to Israel were not just a symbolic thing. You see, the replacement theologies rely upon a belief that Israel is just a symbol for the church today. You see, once the new covenant is inaugurated, there's no more need for the symbol. Somebody had a Fox News alert. (laughs) Wasn't me. (laughs) That can wait. I'm sick of the news, the fake news. I'm not saying that's fake news, but. You see, that is a lie that has been permeated for 2,000 years. That somehow Israel was just that, but Israel couldn't do it. Israel just blew it. But we, finally, the church, we've got it together. Wow, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your covenant promises. We see the New Testament writers understood this truth. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Paul, he says, New Testament, now, these things happen. He's talking about the events and the things that took place in the history of Israel. He says, now, these things happened to them as an example. And it was written down a warning, as a warning to us on whom the end of the ages have come. You see, the New Testament writers looked to the Tanakh for examples of how we are to walk with God. They knew how to walk with God. Because they read the scriptures in the Tanakh on how to walk with God. The stories that they knew, that they, they grew up with and they learned as children. I'm talking about the New Testament apostles and, and, and disciples. The stories that they recount the penetration of the world history by God. The God of Israel. You see, that's what the scriptures explained and showed. Was how God invaded penetrated world history, the God of Israel. Real things happening to real people. It wasn't just a symbol. It was real things happening to real people for our example so that we can walk the way that we're to walk with the Lord. And so that's why I want to look at salvation by the Passover lamb that we read about in Exodus chapter 12. Because some people think that this salvation by, by grace through faith is, is a New Testament concept. I've talked about that in the last few weeks. But here we see in Exodus chapter 12, salvation in Yeshua is highlighted here as much if not more than in the New Testament. And that's what I want to look at. So if you would turn to Romans, I mean Romans, I'm so used to saying Romans. Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to look through several verses here. Verse 1 and 2. Now, Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will mark the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Redemption from bondage in Egypt talking to, he's talking to Israel right there. He's preparing them for what's going to be taking place. Redemption from bondage in Egypt marks the start of a new life for Israel, even to the point where God says, this is the beginning of your year. Now, it's interesting. We don't celebrate Nisan 1 as the new year, the biblical new year, but that's in fact what it is. Matter of fact, the new year that we celebrate at Rosh Hashanah is actually the seventh month. But here God says, this is the first day. This is the first of your news. In other words, I am starting a new relationship with you, Israel, starting this day. It's considered the new year, Nisan number one. Father's saying, I'm starting something new with you. My firstborn son, you will now be my people. And when we enter into a relationship with Yeshua, that same thing happens, First, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Guess what happens? Nisan 1 in our life, we become a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see the comparison. God is speaking to Israel. This is all things are going to be new. I'm going to relate to you in a different way. And God's saying, now you're a new creation in my son. You are no longer slaves. And this is what the father is getting ready to say to Israel. You are no longer slaves. I've given you a new identity. Remember, the father speaks identity to his children. A question I have for us, if we're in Messiah, are we still living as slaves? Are we still living like we were back in Egypt? Do we understand the new relationship that we have? He's our father now as we're in him. You're no longer slaves. And so we see that the, the, it started here in Exodus chapter 12 and how God relates to Israel talking about the Passover lamb. In verse 5, Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to go to several verses here. He gives them instructions. He says, your lamb is to be without blemish, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You you must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. So he says, this is going to be a new thing for you. I want you to take a lamb, but not just any lamb, a perfect lamb, without blemish. And that Hebrew term for without blemish is tamiyim, tamiyim. It means complete, whole, innocent, having integrity and truth. A year old, not just any lamb, but a year old in the prime of life. Compare that to Yeshua. And many of you know this already. Yeshua was 33. He was in his prime. In verse 6, watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. For four days, this lamb was to be in the house. It's to be examined and inspected to see if there's any defect. It reminds me of Yeshua walked on this earth for 33 years, he ministered for three and a half years at least with his disciples. He grew up. Everybody knew who he was. If there was any defect in Yeshua, it would have been exposed. Especially when he began his ministry. Do you think that there were people who were out to try to expose him and destroy him? Absolutely. The devil knew that. That's why the devil tried to get him to renounce his lordship. Tried to get him to be exposed. Torah scholars, religious leaders, intently watched his life. Not just his life, but his words to try to find something to disqualify him. That's why they were always trying to catch him in something, to argue with him, to set him up. But he was without defect. He was the Tami'im. He was a lamb without defect. And looking at verse 8 through 12, 8 through 11 in Exodus 12. And they are to eat a meal that night, roasted over a fire with matzah and bitter herbs. They are to eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled with water, not only roasted, uh, but only roasted with fire. Its head with its legs and, and its innards. So let nothing of it remain until the morning. Whatever remains until the morning, you are to burn with fire. Also, you are to eat it this way. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you are to eat it in haste. It is Adonai's Passover. And compare this with 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, where Paul says, Get rid of the old comets, the yeast, the sin. So you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is so powerful right here. In him, the scriptures say, we are unleavened. What does that mean? Let's get real here. Yeast, leaven is yeast, so unleavened without yeast. What what does leaven represent? Sin. So who is the sinless one? Yeshua. He's taking up residence in us. We're in him. He's sinless. Therefore, my spirit is made that way. I struggled with that for a long time. But as I read the scriptures, it makes sense. I'm given a new heart and a new spirit. And the spirit that I'm given is unleavened. He's living inside of me. That doesn't mean I don't sin. That doesn't mean that, that in my body, in my, in my mind, will, and emotions, I don't sin. But in my spirit, where my true identity is, that's where Yeshua lives. I'm unleavened and the scriptures. Say it right there. Our Messiah, our Passover lamb, he's been sacrificed. And because of that, his unleavenedness, so to speak, is living inside of me. When we get a hold of that, you see that's what being righteous is that's what being holy is that's what being perfect is it's in our spirit it's not in my mind it's not in my 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 the things that I do my my thoughts but in my spirit that's where he's made me holy and the more I grab a hold of that truth that he's my father and he's living and the spirit is living inside of me the more I desire to be like him does that make sense uncorrupted, without sin. That's what unleavened means. Uncorrupted without sin because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Do we truly believe this today? Do we really, really believe that today? Because it's truth. It's in the word, and it's almost too good to be true, but it's in the word. That doesn't mean that I don't need him every day. That doesn't mean that I don't need to be renewed in my thinking and that I need to choose to walk in righteousness because I still have this ugly flesh that wants to do its own thing. But in my spirit, I've been perfected, and I'm in the process of being perfected in the area of my mind, will, and emotions. This is the true identity that we now have in him, and it's so important for us to understand this. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Continually count yourselves. In other words, reckon yourselves, reckon this as truth. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. That is an incredible truth. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but because of Yeshua, we're now alive in him. I read this this morning. See, that's when we grasp a hold of that. That's when we begin to walk in the holiness that we're called to be. John Piper says, sin is what we do when our heart is not satisfied with God. Who? Think about that. Let me read that again. Sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. See, he's living in us. And when we become satisfied, content, and hungering for more of him, I don't want to sin anymore. But what we try to do is we try to stop sinning so that we can be holy. And God says, no, I've called you. This is your calling. This is who you are. Embrace who you are in me, and then you, will, you won't want to do that. Does that? Hallelujah. Somebody's getting it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is most glorified when you are most satisfied satisfied in him. You know when God is glorified is when we're walking in Yeshua. He's most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. We're going to be taking communion in a few minutes. It reminds us of the relationship that we have. It harkens back. To the Passover meal. God says through Paul, He says, Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Where it's a it's a meal that's been ordained by God with Yeshua as the sacrificed lamb, with Yeshua as the matzah come down from heaven. It's it's ordained by God with Yeshua as the Lamb and Matzah, whose blood seals the new covenant that was promised in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. That's why at the Passover that night, Yeshua said in the same way he took the cup after the meal, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Again, he's quoting something from the Tanakh. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. The next couple of verses. I love this part. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over. So there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Some would say, some theologians would say, the I that we're talking about here is a pre-incarnate Yeshua. And he goes through the land of Egypt that night. Imagine being, put yourself in that night. It's a dark night. Yeshua going around or... Pre-incarnate Yeshua destroying the Egyptian gods that night, judgment upon their gods, their gods. And in the same way, he destroys the devil in our lives. First John chapter three verse eight. He says, "The one who practices sin is of the devil." <coughs> For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But this is what I love. Ben Elohim, the Son of God, appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Not just for the gods of Egypt, but also in our lives. Do we believe that he has come to destroy the works of the evil one in our lives? I got a phone call this morning, just out of the blue. And somebody in Kansas City who had been Googling, he wanted to Google a messianic congregation. Somehow he got us, and so I told him, "Man, hey, get in your car. It was <laughs> drive over here. We'll see you tomorrow." But anyways, his guy named Michael. As a matter of fact, we're going to pray for Michael because Michael, he says, "I just I, I'm just struggling with demons," and he shared a little bit. He's a veteran. He's an Iraq War veteran. And he's been in some churches, and he just feels like he's open. He, the door in his life has been open. There's been some demonic struggles. And so we shared a little bit. I kind of encouraged him. I encouraged him to, to contact some, a, a congregation in the area that we know of. And then I prayed for him. And we broke off demonic powers. And we started to speak truth to him, Millie and I. And we're speaking truth to this. I don't even know who this guy was, Michael. But I was just like, you know what? When we grab a hold of the truth that we've been set free and that Yeshua, he destroyed the works of the enemy in our lives, guess what? We're going to be able to minister to others who are struggling with. And there's a whole world of people out there who are struggling with darkness right now. And they need for us to And I'm not talking about just, just throwing scriptures at them, but just listening to them first. And that's what we did. We listened to him, what he was saying. And then, and then there was a prayer. We had actually a prayer book. And there was and it was, um, we just started breaking off things in his life. And I don't know what's going to happen with Michael. But Father, in the name of Yeshua, we pray for Michael right now. 34 years old. He's lost. He's struggling. He's in a dark place. But Father, we pray that you would call him out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, and we pray that for each, Lord, we all know people who are in those areas right now. And Father, we just call them out of darkness, call them out of darkness. Lord, that we would be able to share light with them, that we would be salt and light to people in our lives. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. You see, this is the truth is that he destroyed the Egyptian gods. They'd put their faith and trust in gods who were not the God. Adonai Elohim. And he does the same thing. And if he can do that with the Egyptian gods, he can do that in our lives. It was not just a a judgment against the Egyptian people, but the demonic gods that held them in bondage. And it's interesting in that passage I just read in Exodus chapter 12, the father went around looking for the sign The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The Father is still looking for the sign of the blood. Nothing has changed. You see, the salvation we have because of Yeshua's blood is the same salvation that the people of Israel had that night of the Passover. The blood of the lamb that was on their door frames. See, this is is an interesting thing. Put yourself in the in the place of an Israelite family. They've seen all these plagues. We don't know how long that season of plagues was. But now this is the final plague. And God says, "I'm gonna, I'm going to go over. I'm going to be walking through this land. And I'm going to bring judgment, final judgment upon these gods. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that perfect, perfect lamb that you've had, you've inspected, you know it's perfect. And you're going to slaughter it. The whole family is going to slaughter it. And then you're going to take that blood and put it on the door frames. In other words, they had to go outside their house to put the blood on the door frames, walk back in their house. After they smeared the, door, the blood on the doors, they went inside to eat a meal. That's a picture of resting in that place and fellowshipping and having that meal with the blood covering them, protecting them. Lynn, why don't you come on up there? Worship team, come on up. I'm sharing this because the Passover is not just an event. It's not just a symbol. It's not just something that we celebrate once a year at Passover and we have the Seder and all of that, which is wonderful. I love that. But it's a picture of salvation by grace through faith. That word faith is emunah, emunah, trusting in something that is true. And as the father delivered Israel when she obeyed the instructions to apply the blood. You see, this is what happens is that grace, the grace of God in deliverance is always available to us. Our faith is what activates it. You see, the grace is always there. And sometimes it's just we experience his grace but he wants us to experience more grace and that faith is what activates that grace. So the father delivered Israel when she obeyed the instructions to apply the blood. Take that, examine. See, that's, it wasn't difficult for them to find that lamb, examine it for four days and to do this. See, that's the commands of God. That's Torah of God. He says, do this, do this, and then watch me Watch me work. Watch me work. You see how faith and grace work hand in hand. After their obedience, they were able to rest. And they ate under the protection of the blood until deliverance came. So, as I end this message, I just... I want us to understand if the blood has been placed in our hearts, and we're, we're saved by the blood of Yeshua, we need to learn to stand still in that salvation, rest in that salvation, and know he is Lord. He's done the work. The blood has been placed. Now it's time to stand and know, be still and know that he is God in whatever we pray for. We've been praying for our children, our grandchildren. We're praying for all these things to happen. Plead the blood over. There's power, power, power in the wonder-working blood, the blood of the Lamb. That old song we sang when I first got saved, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Man. Got an old-fashioned revival service going on here. Need to set up a tent. That's not a Christian thing. That's a Jewish thing. Absolutely. We'll make it a Jewish thing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Be still and know that He is God. Amen. Just stand with me as we enter into a time of worship. I want us to <clears throat> I want us to just really open our hearts to the Lord today. And as I look around, and I know most of you, and I, and I know that most of us have come into that place of trusting Him for salvation. But if 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 there's any doubt, I don't want you to leave today without saying, "Stu, would you pray for me? Millie, would you pray for me? Russ, would you pray for me?" I I'm, I just want to know that I know that I know that His blood has been sprinkled on my heart. But as we come before the Lord in our time of worship before we take the Lord's Supper today, it's a special time I want us to just open our heart to Him and just say Holy Spirit Hakodesh, Father, Father search me and know my ways Lord if there's anything that that's rooted in fear Unbelief, pride, Lord, show me those things today. That's just reminded us. I was with the the guys last night in the, the prison. One of them, he's 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 an older guy, and he's he's on oxygen. He's spent most of his life in the institution, different institutions, and he's getting ready to be released into a halfway house. And he says. I don't know if I want to leave here because I don't know what kind of community I'm going to be able to find where I go. So I, I don't know if I want to leave here. I love the community here. And so we listened to him share. And then I said, well, where's that coming from? He said, fear. I'm afraid. And I said, well, you know, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. He said, you asked the Father to open up the right place for you in California congregation or a church, a place where he said but I don't think you want to stay here, bro. This is not where you want to stay. That's fear holding him back because he's he's grown he's gotten comfortable and in the thought of being out there brings fear. So many of us are struggling with that. So I want us to just open our hearts to the Father as we worship him today and prepare for communion. Prepare for communion. We serve an open communion. Yeshua's table here, if you're a believer in Yeshua, everyone is welcome, we're going to be doing that, so Father, just as we open our hearts to you, Lord we thank you for your blood, Lord that's been smeared on the walls of our heart, Lord God, Lord teach us how to rest, teach us how to abide, teach us how to stand still and know that you are God in our lives so let's worship him also this is our time at Chaim where we bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord and we have baskets up here and also the box in the back but sometime during the the worship if you just whatever the Lord has put on your heart to bring before him so Father we bless you and honor you today you are faithful you are faithful, compassionate, loving, gracious God we walk in that today in Yeshua's name let's worship him
1: to look into the story of Samuel when he heard the voice of the Lord in the middle of the night. He didn't know who it was. He didn't know the voice of the Lord. And finally, Eli told him that when he hears it, to say, here am I. What do you want, Lord? Ah, oh, but that's our question as we come to you and worship this morning. What do you want, Lord? Here am I. And God took Samuel and raised him up to be a mighty prophet, to share the light of the Lord, to share the Torah, the righteous instructions of the Lord, the hope of the Lord, the hope of his deliverance. Would you say,
2: Hanani, this morning?
1: would have us to do. You've called some of us to be prophets and teachers and evangelists, Lord. Show us that place where you want us to be. How do we serve in your kingdom beyond these four walls?
0: We're just worshiping the Lord just quicken the Psalm 98 to me. It's talking about his salvation being known to all the world. And we know that the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. So I'm just going to read this Psalm and insert Yeshua's name. It says salvation. Sing to Adonai a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm, his holy arm have won victory for him. Adonai has made his Yeshua known. He has revealed his righteousness before the eyes of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness, his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the Yeshua of our God. Shout joyfully to Adonai, all the earth. Break forth, sing for joy, and sing praises. Sing praises to Adonai with a harp, with a harp and with the voice of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the shofar. Blast a sound before the king, Adonai. Let the sea roar and all within it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy together before Adonai. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with fairness. This is who God is. Amen.
3: When we were just um, praising the Lord, how great is, is our God. I just felt like God was telling us that, you know, Stu was talking about earlier about how the Father Determines how the children turn out, basically, or what the what the whole um, uh, what the atmosphere is in the home and how we turn out. And I just feel like God is saying, "Do you see? I am Almighty God. I am your Father. There are those of you who do not have earthly fathers that have determined." positive things in your life but I am almighty God and I am your daddy I am your daddy and I do declare and decree over you that you are my child and that I love you and I felt like this is kind of crazy but I felt like he wanted you to close your eyes and you want to skip in the spirit he wants you to skip in the spirit he's just telling us he wants us to be as children. He, he says, come to me. Yeshua said, come to me as little children. Come to your heavenly daddy. Come to your heavenly daddy. Close your eyes and skip with him for a while. Just be a child. Be a child. Because he is your father. It's
0: a good word. Good word. I just want to seal that word and just pray over those who felt fatherless. Maybe they never saw the image of the Father in their own family, their own life. Father, I pray that all of us would know you as Father, especially for those who've had a marred picture of a father, abusive, harsh, cruel, withholding. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would impart to your sons and daughters here your true image to them. Hallelujah. And yes, we would truly be children who would skip and play. That's why that that playground is being built out there. It's not for the kids. <laughs> well, probably is, but it's also maybe there's a message there for us to start doing being childlike again. Amen.
1: um the Lord uh, gave me a scripture that he wants to tell you guys and I can't remember exactly where it is I think it's in either Isaiah or Jeremiah but it says I have loved you with an everlasting love and therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. So...